Welcome back, my friends, to another edition of Wampa Radio. Doa is out fighting crime and living the life. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say he was fighting cranberries or something. Cranberries themed. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's not Thanksgiving here. I listen. I'm in Canada. It's just Thursday over here. So. I mean, and I did tweet this out earlier today. If you would like to send me food, I am all for that. No complaints, no nothing. But happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. And you I, weird I Americans. Tweet. You can drive down and enjoy it with us yeah, if you would like. You make it sound like it's the Starbucks down the street. It's it's Detroit and Toronto. There's a solid like eight eight to ten hours in between these two things. Not to mention. No, it's like a four and a half hour drive. It's not, though, is it? it? Yes. Don't lie to me. somebody who made the drive to you. This changes it, things. Because I will say this. You are probably closer than my parents. Because I just drove from Montreal to Toronto uh, two days ago to complete the the trek and whatever. That is always an annoying drive because it's so boring. You're just on one road going like crazy uh, in, in a straight direction. On your left, fields. On your right, fields it's just going down the 401 for 350 miles until i get home if you are telling me that it's the same or less that is a trip that <laughs> i would so not uh knowing the exact address right just entering toronto so that's putting me like in the most downtown toronto on google maps direct to my house it currently says and this is with holiday traffic mind you that it's uh, four hours and 54 minutes to make that drive. That is and, much better. And I better. can also tell you, the moment that you you cross into the Michigan border, if you're not doing 10 over, then they're going to know you're not a local. Like, I don't know what it is about Michigan, but 10 over is too slow. And there's a, there's a reason that... Uh, I have to like watch my speed whenever I go anywhere outside of Michigan because we are kind of lawless and, and reckless in the mitten. But yeah, it's it's not that bad of a drive. I will say this. Um, if there's a cop behind me and they can't tell that I'm not a local by my Ontario license plate, then you're, I was going to say your 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 police situation in the States is uh, needs a, a revamp. But I think that that's already a conversation for a whole other thing. Look, all this to say, um, it is episode 24. We're glad to be back. We, You and I were in Barcelona enjoying the World Championships of Flesh and Blood in various capacities. Uh, I was hosting and casting the event. Uh, you were there. You, you were playing in much of the stuff. Uh, the various events you you were a judge in the cosplay contest there was all kinds of cool stuff going on but alas we are back with episode 24 of wampa radio again a podcast focusing on star wars unlimited and all kinds of fun star wars card games all together charmer yeah and this time we have a lot to catch up on obviously because we were unable to record while we were in Barcelona. We tried. For we those tried. of you who are wondering, we did try to connect, but it was very hectic. And then on top of that, I lost my luggage for part of my trip. So <laughs> there was uh, some logistics issues that we ran into, but we really did try. We are happy to be back. And so we're going to cover some of the things that we missed. And then we are also going to talk about uh, what we're thankful for, because here in the States, again, uh, this will be published on Saturday, but we are recording this on Thanksgiving Day. I'm giving up time with my family. That's how much I love 
Star Wars Unlimited. And we also have to go way back in the past and cover our cave poll of the week that was actually of about two weeks ago now, but we still have to cover the cave poll. Yes, the cave poll. The cave poll this uh, this week, that la- the most recent one, I will say, uh, was actually su- suggested to us by a fan of the show at NTQ03. Says, hey, let's do some couples goal stuff. And I said, that's a great one. So here is your cave poll of the week, available every Sunday at Wampa Radio. You can go ahead and let us know what your selections are for the cave poll of the week this week saying... Your favorite couple in Star Wars, and your options are Han and Leia, Mara Jade and Luke Skywalker, Owen and Beru Lars, Hera Syndulla, and Kanan Jarrus. So, my good friend, Charmtastic, what is your selection? So, I actually voted in the poll for Hera and Kanan. However, I did reply to this. I remember very vividly when I saw this come up that uh, I, I replied with the gif of the charred remains of Owen and Beru. And I I wanted to do that, one, because it, it's just kind of funny in a very dark and twisted sort of way. Is it but funny? Also, is it, it actually is, funny? It, it is. But also, that was my way of kind of, kind of, saying that I felt like there were some better choices that we could have included there because I was very surprised. (laughs) No, I was very surprised that Padme and Anakin wasn't an option because Uh, she literally like dies (laughs) of sadness. And if that's not love, I don't know what is. And then even if you didn't want to include that one, uh, my personal favorite in like all of Star Wars, just because you never really get to see that side of him, is the uh, kind of on again, off again. Is it really a relationship? Is it not a uh, thing between Obi-Wan and Satine? So in Clone Wars, if you're not familiar, Obi-Wan kind of has this thing with the Duchess of, of Mandalore. And I just always thought that was nice because you never really get to see that side of of Obi-Wan. And I would have loved to have seen that on the poll as well. But I voted for Hera and Kanan because I just think that that one is very endearing and sweet. Um, Han and Leia are iconic, so you can't go wrong there. But yeah, I was just a little bit surprised we didn't have like the the Padme, Anakin, you know, are you willing to slaughter people on Tatooine and then still love the person who does it sort of thing. <laughs> like that, if that's not love, I don't I don't know what it is. Or Or just the like... Hey, I know Jedi are not supposed to, you know, fall in love thing. So allow me to wear some of the, you know, most gorgeous outfits and dresses in front of you, Anakin, right? Like her wardrobe was always amazing and on point. Just everything about that is is funny to me. So I wish it was on the poll. Part of it is that, and I will be completely honest here, it didn't even encroach into my mind, maybe because... um, there was absolutely nothing romantic about the courtship of that entire relationship. Like, That's part of why I find it so funny. It is, because, and I'm blaming the writing on this, obviously, because there was, uh, if you put good writing behind the story and narrative of that, of, of you know, the prequel lore, it's incredible, because the, um, 
what is it? Revenge of the Sith as like the written novel is one of the best written novels in Star Wars canon. And it's the same story. We all know it. It's just the fact that when you put somebody with actual, you know, excellent writing chops behind it, you're in your your the whole experience is enhanced. And it, to me, it's, you know, uh, it's like exhibit A of just, OK, you could have a great story, but if it's executed poorly, then it's it's sort of lost on us and the whole thing about it is again part of it is just that padme meets anakin when he's like six or seven years old in a slave shop and she walks in and she's like i'll take that but like later and uh you know she, she kind of strolls in like drake you know with like the whole well, we're going into some dark territory you gave me crap for owen and beru and you're basically saying padme Groomed, groomed Anakin. What else was it? We need an emergency pack. This is Wait, one this of those is times an emergency. We're about to, will we're you about to give us packs? Will you give us packs? FFG. We are. We, this we're. This is on you, frankly, that we go on these tangents. Otherwise, the Owen and Baru thing. So, like a lot of these relationships, there's a lot of um, contrasting personalities. There's a lot of you know. Um, opposites attract Han and Leia. Han was the smuggler, lived by his own rules. Leia was about, you know, what's what's right and and you know governance and and that kind of thing. Um, Hera and Kanan, you know, they kind of had the same morals, but like one was more of, you know, Kanan was a Jedi Knight and and lived by the doctrine and whatever. Hera was just the general, the rebel, you know, and. Mara and Luke was another interesting one, but to me, like, Owen and Beru, I put it on there because we don't really know a lot about the backstory of how they met. To me, it's just, like, she was probably just living on the other closest, you know, vaporator farm somewhere. You know, like, there's a moisture farm. It's the closest one. See, oh, you know, like, seven people, right, <laughs> in your area. So it's just like, hey, we're the same age. Our parts fit together. That's it. Like, that's what we do here on Tatooine. I would like to think that they were high school sweethearts because their high school was like four people on Tatooine and that they went to prom together because the other choice was a Jawa. Yeah, and, and a Rodian. <laughs> like, it's just, that's what I said. That's why I was very clear when I said their parts fit together. Like, that is that is a major consideration. They're vaporator it, parts. This is a PG <laughs> Yeah, like Podcast. they went to the they went to Tashi Station to get some power converters and realized that you know they fit together. Like they were both USB C compatible and they made it happen. That was basically the whole thing about it here. Like I I'm not trying like it, like Galactic Tinder is basically there's a whole drop down of like do you fit in this part and it's just like yes or no because let's be real, Hera and Kanan not the same species not the same race right like but it it worked. Um, but I'm my guess is that I hear listen, I know we're already way off the rails, but I you saying galactic tinder has made me realize I desperately want this as like a bit. I wanna see a stormtrooper like on a on a handheld device, you know, their version <laughs> of a phone, swiping left and right on Galactic Tinder. But the the bit is that every picture is just another stormtrooper yeah. in full armor. So you can't actually <laughs> see what they look like, but they're still swiping like left and right anyway, but they all just are just stormtroopers in different poses. Oh dude. And then one of them comes back to the room and he's like, Oh, how'd your date go? Oh, I totally got catfished. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they always they always have the helmets on. It's oh. like, oh god, yeah. No, oh, that, but they wouldn't call it like catfish. They'd call it like calamari or something, right? Yeah. Like, what happened? Got totally banned. It was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap, and it's oh. oh yeah. He shows up, and it's like a sand trooper, and they're like, oh god, damn it. Yeah. No wonder there was no pictures of their shoulders. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here are the results, ladies and gentlemen. In the lead, the first couple of Star Wars, and I'm not talking about Han and Chewie. I'm talking about Han and Leia at 35.6%. Not far behind is your selection. I chose Han and Leia, by the way, obviously. Um, yeah. Hera and Kanan at 32.9%. Mara and Luke, which uh, fan favorites again, but Mara not yet canon. So interesting there. 24.7%. And way beyond, uh, not yet dare I say, risen from the ashes, uh, is <laughs> Owen and Baru Lars at 6.8%. They had their story, okay? They, yeah. Their love burned so hot. We might, we might have to do a second round of this. Um, closer to launch, hear me out. I think all of our cave pulls for, you know, March, when we get ready to gear up for launch, we should do a March Madness of couples, right? Because... Not only do we have the, you know, the Anakin relationships, the the Obi-Wans, the, the ones that I mentioned that aren't covered, but we even have some other ones as well, right? Like we do have uh, the Raylo from the newer movies and some other ones we could fit in there as well. And I think we could we could make like a, a four week bracket out of this. That's pretty good. We should do it like leading up to uh, leading up to Valentine's Day in February. We should start it. On Valentine's Day leading up to launch, because that's about, you know, three or four weeks in there. I think that 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 could be fun. That's not bad. I kind of wanted to do a bracket of all of Padme's outfits and do like, oh, do like a March Madness of her outfits. There's so many March Madness related kind of bracket things I would do. I would even do like Jedi, like who like great greatest like force wielders and like on the yeah. one side is the dark like is the sith and the other side is the jedi and you just and then it and it ends with one of each and then we decide that I we like could have a padme one though you could call it monarch madness instead because yeah. you know she's the queen of naboo she was elected queen somehow i don't get it not my not whatever not my I'm president not familiar with naboo politics i will admit well chief palpatine was and look what happened to him yeah yeah, he's, he'll return again, is my suspicion. Uh, all right, so there you have it. That was the Cave Pool of the Week. You can go ahead and check it out, like I said, on Twitter, at Wampa Radio every Sunday. Cast your vote and dive us even deeper into the murky waters of Sidetrack stuff. All right, headlines, buddy. Let's uh, talk about what we got headlines-wise. We've, we missed a lot of spoilers, so we're going to cruise yeah. through a lot of this, but hit us with it. Well, the good news for us while we were traveling is that there were not many major headlines, right? We didn't have a live stream, for example. Uh, We had a couple of articles that did come out and they included spoilers and we're going to cover those. But I think the kind of like big thing that happened between when we last recorded and now was the uh, Fantasy Flight Games designer Q&A that they did on Twitter. And it was really cool of them to do that. I, I think that any sort of interaction with the community is great. There's a lot of games that I think don't do enough of that. So the fact that they are doing something like this even pre-launch was a pretty big deal. 
Um, there were some interesting tidbits and gems. The one that really jumped out to me as like the, the game design nerd, and this is something that I was very excited to see, was uh, somebody had asked the question about number of legendaries in a set um, and, and concerns about spending and things like that. And uh, the response came from Tyler. I also liked that they were kind of signing which game designer was doing the answers. Um, but the, the response really resonated with me. And I'm just going to read the full thing. It's when designing balancing cards, we don't correlate power to rarity. Power is correlated to narrowness, i.e. number of aspects. Is it unique or not, etc. And narrowness often correlates to rarity but some of the most powerful cards in the set are commons. Yeah. Um, that is not outlandish, That nor is that new. Uh, I can We can merely just lean back on something like Flesh and Blood and say, like, hey, scar for a scar. Common yeah. card. It's super Sink below. Sink below is... Sink below is a weird one because uh, it's like a $2 common, and if you find a foil one, you're like... It's like a a seven or eight dollar card for a foil common it's unreal but again power level of cards it, it like again legendary status and and sort of like the 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 highest rarity of a card usually is sort of relegated to uh you like popular ships or things like that and yeah there's going to be cards that aren't unique entities like a ship or a character but in you know the ones that usually are are going to be legendaries you're you're home one your you know your your palpatines and your this or your that but i like the that kind of uh, explanation and narrowness I, is is a good term because like you said as soon as you sort of add more restrictions and how either hard it is to play the card or how many you can play that usually becomes the in you know indicative of where the power level of the card is going to be so i really liked this answer for a couple of reasons one it is very refreshing to see that they are, are taking a similar stance to other card games, right? Where they're not just going to make everything that is good be immediately hard to get or expensive. That That's a win. And I, I kind of wasn't expecting that out of them anyway. But what stands out to me is one that they were mentioning specifically the narrowness, talking about aspects. And I kind of already got a feel from that because of the aspect legendaries. So when we talk about, you know, cunning, commands, vigilance, those cards... They're very narrow, right? They are a dual aspect card, but we can also see that they are very powerful. So they're correlating the power to the narrowness. Now, I think the reason that those are legendaries and what is unsaid here, but I think that it's kind of being inferred, is that the complexity of cards also is probably more what's tying it to rarity as opposed to power level because... You want a game to be accessible to new players, and so you don't want there to be an abundance of very complex cards, right? You want those to be few and far in between because you want the players to intuitively pick up the game and then occasionally say, wait, how does that work? Those kinds of things that get your gears turning that you want to appear, you know, in the uncommon, rare, or, or legendary slots. Now, in the case of, you know, again, those aspect uh, legendaries, cunning, vigilance, etc., they're very complex for a new player because they're listing four different things and asking you to pick two of them. And then you have to know the right situations for each of them, et cetera. Um, so I think that's why we're seeing some of those cards there. And then when you look at some of the other uh, legendaries, right? 
uh, Millennium Falcon jumps out at me as well. We know as veteran card game players, it's going to be a very powerful card, but it's also very complex in the way it works when you compare it to other cards that we've seen so far revealed for Star Wars Unlimited. So uh, I think that's the inference there. And I just, I really liked it. That was one of the things that jumped out to me because I feel like it was a very succinct way to kind of sum up their design philosophies and it's good for the game. Well, I mean, look at a hero like Icelander in Flesh and Blood. It's a complex hero that has a very high, you know, skill floor and ceiling, but also great results and complexity is another layer that we go through. All right. The next little uh, tidbit is that I believe FFG is going to be at a convention this weekend. We're recording this on November 23rd, which is a Thursday. They're going to be at, what is it, PAX something? I don't know what it is. Uh, it should be uh, PAX Unplugged, I believe, and it's not technically this weekend. It's going to be uh, that oh. first through the third. Okay. Yeah, so that was the the issue, right? Right, um, we're not going to be there. We're going to be at the Realm yeah, event. We, we are going to be casting uh, because that's what we love to do for just about any card game, but we will be uh, casting a Realm event in Columbus, so we are unable, sadly, to make it to the PAX event, um, but, but we're still looking forward to it. But here's a fun little thing to throw out there because everybody is, um, you know, a little bit hit or miss regarding the, not the OP structure, but the timing of OP for next year. They're like, well, 2024 is a long time to sit through without a full OP structure. I want to, you know, cause they say that 2025 is when everything is in full gear and all the different tiers and qualifications are, are underway. I want to assure people that, you know, you mentioned Realm, there are going to be other entities like Realm, potentially MinMax games that are looking to actually create their own unique tournament circuits around North America that you can go play in, earn prizes, earn cash, earn qualification points for big tournaments. And if you're saying like, well, how big can that possibly be? We're casting the Realm Rumble, which is like the culmination of the Realm circuit for Flesh and Blood. They're giving away $20,000 for that. Next year, they're giving away $50,000. And again, these are not official tournaments. They are just sanctioned by, you know, so I just want to let everybody know that just because there's not going to be a full OP structure next year, there are a lot of, um, um, you know, LGSs and organizers that are going to be putting this together. And I promise you, that myself, Charmer, Doa have already been stoking the flames with these bigger entities like the Realm Games uh, in Columbus, like MinMax Games in Chicago, to put things like this together. We are most certainly pumping those tires and fanning those flames, and they are very receptive to it, and they are already in the preliminary talks of organizing this kind of stuff. So never fear. There's going to be tournaments and I'm thankful for that. On Thanksgiving. Yay. Yeah. Woohoo. All right. We got a million spoilers because we missed. Yeah. So because can, we're we're behind a week. So we have yeah. a, a lot of spoilers that can, we have to catch up on. Can we be disciplined here and cruise through these at a relatively quick pace? Relatively with uh, a few exceptions. Because there, there were a couple of really good ones uh that that came out while we were gone that i'm sure we're going to take a little bit longer on but yes we will do our absolute best 
to All be right. disciplined. So I'm ju I'm just gonna kick it off, right? Do it. But uh, I, there's one thing I want to do before we kick oh, off the first spoiler. I I want to because we don't really have sponsors for this podcast yet. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you can always reach out to us. But honorary sponsor of the podcast, Swoo DB. So we are gonna say the spoilers brought to you by Swoo DB. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I know you're you're a proponent of no free ads, but I think that the work that SwooDB does. I am fine with that because I'm going to just be fully honest. In our show notes, what did I do? I went to SwooDB <laughs> to pull up the card art yeah. for our show notes. So I got to give credit where credit is due. Yes, Thank yeah. you, valued member of the community, SwooDB. Also, and very, very witty and sneaky funny on Twitter. Like... You know those people who are like don't tweet much, but every single one is a is like a solid seven and a half on ten or better. That is SwooDB. So, gotta appreciate you know gotta appreciate the game. Go for it. All right, it. here we go. Are you ready for the discipline? Go for it. Okay, we're gonna start with ISB agent. This is a ground unit. It costs one. The aspects are cunning and villainy. It has the imperial tag has a 1-3 stat line, and it says, when played, you may reveal an event from your hand. If you do, deal one damage to a unit. And it's a common, but I think in the common slot, it's going to provide a lot of utility, especially in limited formats, because being able to potentially ping something and get a lot of value is great, gives you some early board presence. Also, in certain deck art types, because this is a unit right doesn't have to be an enemy unit it might also provide some value if you're trying to get like grit going or things like that and then finally the fact that it's just any unit on the board i think is very relevant because this means that you can play this early but then take out something that was maybe a one drop in the space lane something like that so uh overall for a common i think it provides some some decent utility one three for a, dro a one drop is a very good stat line. It has resilience. It could kind of just stick stick there. The on deploy effect can uh, negate a shield that you might see. It also can sort of put something in range for it to trade with if necessary. If something's a three two out there, putting this out there without the one damage is kind of a scary, scary thing. There is conditions to it. Obviously, you got to reveal an event, so you're giving up. Uh, first of all, you need to have it in your hand, and secondary, you have you're giving up that information to your opponent. And cunning likes to play with tricks up its sleeve. And if you're <laughs> if you're playing with short sleeves, then that's that's a, a dangerous yeah. gambit. I will say one of the things that I'm looking forward to with cards like this, where you get to do the reveal, is like reveal the card so your opponent is like playing around that for the next few turns, but then just resource it next turn. Oh so yeah, it's not even on the table. You're just like, I'm gonna show you the thing, and then just not have and it. Never have it. That you're so good. He's like, well, playing around that uh, that waylay. Yeah, that waylay was this resource for seven turns, Bucko. By the way, uh, that's where we're at. Also, this was a reveal by Artificery. So thank you, Artificery, and the artwork. Makes it look like he just broke out uh, into uh, living on a prayer on karaoke night and busted out the gun because nobody was singing along. <laughs> yeah, it does look like somebody who is holding uh, an audience at gunpoint to yeah. listen to his bad karaoke. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Here's my my interpretation of Wonderwall. You will all sit and enjoy it. And then they're like, ah, oh. and then he pulls out the gun and they're like, oh, OK, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Next up. This is one of my favorite ships uh, in all of the Imperial fleet. 
I love the the added lore that came with Thrawn's development of the ship. It is the Seventh Fleet Defender, a TIE Defender, uh, if I were to say. It's a unit in space, three cost, cunning, villainy, a 3-2 stat line, nothing too exquisite about it, but it does come shielded. It is an Imperial Vehicle Fighter. Uh, it is a common. Shields are annoying. The fact that if you do not have an efficient way to get rid of the shield, this will trade quite handsomely with other uh, units out there. Not sure if uh, this is a unit that I would practically or I would typically play, but again, to me, this feels more so like a meta call uh, in order to sort of two for one some, uh, certain, you know, board situations. Yeah, for me, this is one of those cards that's going to, I think, get the most value in limited play, being a common. I think getting resilient space units in the common slot will be important, and this kind of fits that bill. But the cost to stat ratio is a bit awkward when you also factor in that it's two aspects, right? So uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see how it goes. Uh, art was good, though. Uh, as, as you said, one of my favorite uh, vehicles as well it's just really really neat and you know given given what we've talked about in the past and normally we would waylay these back and forth i'm gonna let you also do the next reveal because yeah i appreciate that i do want to yeah. give some love here because a lot of this artwork has been very careful about certain things because somebody who might not give too much appreciation for star wars might have the lasers firing out of all six of the cannons. However, the top two cannons are ion cannons. So that's why they're not being fired and they're not green. And I really, really appreciate that little attention to detail for the artwork. That's what I'll yeah, say. And this one was also revealed by Artificery. Okay, so uh, brother of, of Grand Admiral Sean is Grand Admiral Thrawn, and that is our next leader. And I am so freaking hyped about this the problem with it is that they didn't take my art design which we have yeah, talked about but i hope that's the showcase yeah it, uh, it could be the everybody's gonna be pining for that showcase one in uh what is it one in 12 boxes yeah yeah so here it is grand admiral thrawn is the cunning villainy leader uh patient and insightful that'll that that's basically him yeah when the action phase starts look at the top card of each player's deck brilliant I would take this hero just for that uh, that information. So damn good. Action. You pay one. Um, reveal the top card of any player's deck. Exhausting unit that costs the same as or less than the revealed card. Okay, listen to me. We were talking about big fatties and getting that, about ramp and disruption and getting to uh, a game state where you can drop big tie uh big star destroyers and AT-ATs. if your deck is littered with eight and nine costs grand admiral thrawn is exhausting every fat boy that you're slamming on the on the field and making you relatively um um worthless and again this sort of plays to grand admiral thrawn and the character himself and the character design he has resources he has at his disposal you know, he always is going to get the advantage. He's not going to throw 
You know, like the whole concept of I'm going to reveal a four cost. Well, he's not in lore. He's not going to use that resource to throw at something bigger that's just going to get wasted. He's going to make sure that that is utilized correctly with the advantage that he has. I freaking love this card. And if you pack your deck with fat boys, then you're going to be peeling off the top and say, that's a seven. I'm going to exhaust your this. I'm going to exhaust your that. I'm going to do your that. It's 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 a such a great leader design. And if we go to the flip side uh, the epic action is when you have six or more resources. It's a three nine. He's he's gonna stick to the board, and it says um, on attack you may reveal uh, the top card of any player's deck, exhaust the unit that costs the same or is less. So it's like the same thing, but you have to attack with it. But he's got um, he's he's packing heat, baby. He's a three nine. He's gonna live uh, live a while. I'm so in love with the cunning aspect. So absolutely enamored with it it is the most unique out of all of them in my opinion and it also in my in my estimation is going to be what the high skilled players are going to be exploring and 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 basically breaking wide open all right this is one of those ones where i was saying like all right it might take a, a bit more to That's talk fine. about i know i know we want to be disciplined but there is so much to love about this from a game design perspective. I love this card because it makes for interesting choices during the game, right? During gameplay. But it also makes for interesting choices during deck building for both players. Just this card existing means that when you are designing a deck, whether it's for Thrawn or potentially against Thrawn, as you said, you have to take things into consideration. What is going to be the top of my curve? How many cards of that do I want to include? Or do I potentially want to include ways to get around it? So, for example, right, if my opponent has Thrawn, start of the turn, they get to look at the, the top card of both players deck and they don't start their turn. Maybe they don't have initiative or they don't start their turn right away with their action being exhausting something. That means that if I have done some proper planning with my deck building, I could take away one of their options. So if I play something that draws a card, they now no longer know what's on the top of my deck and whether it's reliable. Uh, I could play a card like Recruit, where I'm going to search the top five cards of my deck for the low cost of one, and then now I've messed up some of that information they have available, right? So there's kind of that interplay. And then if you're the Thrawn player... Obviously, the, the best way to make sure that you can tap something down is to just include a bunch of fatties on your end, but he already costs six. And then if you're also filling your deck with a bunch of late game cards, like how do you survive? Yeah, the, the tapping helps, but how do you survive to get to the point where you're playing those large units, right? The exhaust once per turn is not going to be enough. Uh, on the other side, in terms of just making like a power play, if you will, uh, the epic action on six is going to be a pretty big deal if you can, because again, reminder, you don't have to pay the epic action cost. You just have to control six or more resources. So you can start by exhausting a unit and then flip your Thrawn. And then when he attacks, uh, if you can somehow give him haste or, or anything like that. Uh, no, that's right. The, the leader is enter ready. So when he attacks, um, you could tap something else down as well. There, there's just a lot of interplay there. It's... It's exactly what you want from Thrawn. Um, 
it's a mind game for both players. It's very heady. And not surprisingly, he's a rare because as we were just saying before this, right, complexity should be reserved for your rares and your legendaries. Uh, but this is this is a fantastic card. I love that it's going to challenge players during the game. It's going to challenge players outside of the game during deck building. Also, the artwork is phenomenal. It's some of my favorite artwork like in the game thus far, because I think it really captures Thrawn very well. And I'm really looking forward to whatever the showcase looks like. There's a reason why that artwork, that Thrawn himself, is going to be one of the uh, showcased artworks on the packs, right? Like, uh, I feel like they picked because they know that this is going to be a leader that people are going to lean on and are going to explore. It's also probably the most unique that we've got so far. I mean, there's some that look like absolute houses, but they're complexity level is relatively shallow it doesn't mean that they're bad it just means that they don't have a lot of moving parts and and sort of connectivity with their deck this is the opposite this is something where you do not play thrawn unless you have reasons uh to sort of build around that ability keep in mind if you're looking at the top of your opponent's deck every turn you you know half of what they're drawing because they draw two per turn so you're like i know what half your hand is so that's that's significant information. It's like, okay, I'm playing around this one card, and I have to make a decision based on whether my opponent has it or not. If you know that they have it, that changes your whole game plan. That sort of is much like how Thrawn plays. Thrawn wants as many of the variables solved so that he can formulate a plan that is a guaranteed success. It's anticipate your opponent's moves and move against them to your advantage. This, this to me is my favorite leader by leaps and bounds. Absolutely, without question. Yeah, I think the planning thing kind of nails the essence, right? It's, you got to have a plan when you're building your deck. You got to have a plan every turn. He gives you a bunch of information to make your plans, but everything about him is just navigating through the the scenarios, adaptation, just all the things that make Thrawn Thrawn summed up very nicely in a leader and one of the ways that you can potentially navigate things <laughs> is with an outer rim headhunter so then the next card to talk about this was uh revealed by ffg uh just like thrawn was uh this is a two cost cunning only space unit it is a one three fringe vehicle fighter has raid one, but on attack, if you control a leader unit, you may exhaust a non-leader unit. So this is, you know, again, as I was saying, one of those things where you got to have ways to survive the early turns, and this could be one of the ways to do it. I think power level-wise, this is a common. Power level-wise, this isn't uh, too high up on, you know, the, the chain, but... When Thrawn is down, this has the potential to be very impactful because then you're going to have multiple ways to exhaust things. And not only is that defensive because those cards can no longer attack you, but it also opens up, you know, offense for you as well because you're slowing down their ability to kind of crack back and keep things at parity. So I do believe this will be uh, experimented with in set one just because I think that we might not have enough power level and then we'll likely get power crept out. But it is something that I would keep my eye on. I think that this card is going to have some, some, like you said, it's going to see some play. Uh, people are going to try it out. 
I think that it, the uh, the ceiling for this card is pretty high, but I also think the floor is pretty low. Um, nonetheless, I really thought that Headhunters, like the Z95 Headhunters, and there's still room for them to even explore with this, I thought that it might be a dual lane card because we've seen that, you know, the Z95s, like the Tala Squadron, actually aided in the, the ground assault of Endor to a degree. And they're also space-worthy space starfighters. So I was thinking that the headhunters might be something where it's like if they deploy, if they're played on the ground, they're, they play at minus, uh, minus one you know, attack, plus one health, let's say. And, and if they're played in space, they're just however they are. But it is what it is. Okay, I'm going to let you do the next one too because uh, I got a big boy and you should get his whip. Uh, okay. I was going to let you do it. No, 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 no. I will not turn it down. So this was revealed by main deck, but of course you can't have Thrawn without a capital ship, right? He's got to command something. So Chimera is an eight cost space unit, cunning and villainy, obviously, because we have to match Thrawn. Has an eight, seven stat line, Imperial vehicle, capital ship. It deploys shielded. And then on attack, you name a card, opponent reveals their hand, and discards a card with that name from it. I, again, love this because it's, one, got obvious synergy with Thrawn, right? If you're looking at the cards, as you said, you're going to get to know one half of the two cards that they draw every turn. And it makes it very easy to name something if you know it's already in their hand. But even beyond that, as you and I were saying, what does Thrawn want to do? He wants information. He wants to form a plan. So every time that you turn this thing sideways and attack with it, you get to see their entire hand, even if you whiff. And that means that you can start formulating a plan for what to do. And you're at that point in time, you're kind of playing the game twice, right? You're playing it for yourself, but you're also playing it for your opponent saying, okay, if I was them, how would I navigate my turn? And then if they're going to do that, how do I stop that? Right. It's like playing chess against yourself so that you can, you know, outsmart to the opponent. Uh, I, I dig everything about this. Well, the God, I'm already envisioning the Reddit threads, the discord chatter about not just this particular card, but everything that this, this dump of cards has led to us. And it's led to us to a situation where, yeah, you could kind of play around it to a degree. It's like, well, I know they saw this card. There's the Chimera. I'm going to resource this card. They're going to name it. They're going to feel silly. Well, you did the work for them. <laughs> like, the yeah. card became a resource. It's not discarded necessarily. It's a resource now. But ultimately, the Chimera is still attacking. It's still going to look at your hand. It might whiff. But guess what, bucko? Next time, you're getting all the information so that an other fat boy that you had in your hand that you're saving for just the right time, well, Chimera swinging in. It's going to name it, and you're going to pull your freaking hair out. This, this whole archetype is going to give people such headaches such ptsd there's going to be table flipping going on there's going to be bird flipping going on there's going to be all kinds of flipping going on but the chimera to me is such a cool card because again i love big space battles i love ships this is the ship for thrawn and it fits like peanut butter and jelly with what he wants to do i love this card and i love the star destroyers all of them 
I I just love that it so perfectly well synergizes, not just with the, okay, you know what they're drawing, so you can name a card part, but also the fact that this costs eight means when it's on the top of your deck, now you can exhaust a unit that costs eight or less. So you get the benefit when it's in play, but you also potentially get the benefit just by including it in your deck. And again, even if you whiff with this thing, you still got an eight, seven shielded unit out <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, I like, forgot about that. Take that whoops. out of the equation. Like, whoops, <laughs> this thing is also a massive pile of stats that could potentially be hard to deal with. So overall, I just, I really dig this. Uh, this, again, was revealed by main deck, along with uh, another card that I think pairs well, both with chimera and with thrawn so if you want to transition us to uh, this one because yes. this one is also i think going to be the the source of a reddit thread or two. Oh, easily it's a rare on top of that it is the regional governor i have a nickname for this card and i will tell it to you afterwards it's a two drop command uh it is a or sorry vigilance it's a two drop vigilance a one four imperial off uh, official when played name a card while this unit is in play opponents can't play the named card <laughs> that's like <laughs> dude, like again thank you main deck for this um this is lady pithing needle yeah no i think that's fair it's lady pithing fair. needles it's it's uh madam sorcerer spyglass it's basically uh if you don't know what pithing needle is pithing needle i believe is an artifact from uh magic you play it you name a card they cannot cast that card they cannot play that card uh as long as it that card is in play it's lady pithing needle and she looks prickly and she looks quite sharp frankly so lady pithing needle here is going to get the information be it through thrawn's connections be it through the ambitions of the chimera attacking and revealing the hand or whatever else you've got going on nonetheless remember we were talking about the probe droid and I said mm -hmm. the probe droid is going to be a pretty important card, or I, th I have a feeling that that card's going to be good. Uh, I forgot what aspect is it was. Was it aggression or villainy? Nonetheless, again, any cards that give information about your opponent's hand early on is going to be important because you just drop the regional governor, and she just says, eh, Hot Solo, go F yourself. And then that's basically it. Eh. You know, Millennium Falcon, you shall not pass. Like, those are the kind of things. And she's a 1-4, so you're either expending um, a, a, a removal card that you don't necessarily want to deal with, a 1-4. It's a, it's a stopgap. She's not unique. You can literally, if you're worried about one particular card that... If you're, if you're playing around one card, if there's one card that's going to pull the rug from under you, you just play Regional Governor, you pick that card. You, pull, you draw another regional governor, you say, I'm going to pick that card again. Now they're both protecting against you. Now they're both cock-blocking you off that card. That is the strength of these types of cards. If you've played Magic, Pithing Needle is the other thing, but there's other cards that do similar things, like Sorcerer's Spyglass, the Tukotli Honor Guard, I think was another one from Ixalan back in the day, which stopped Enter the Battlefield effects. Like, anything that stops your cards... Uh, meddling Mage, too, yeah, right? there's plenty. that's... Uh... There's plenty, and they all mess you up, and you get upset, and she does not give a rat's ass. Look at her. She's just like – she's literally thinking about her dinner plans and cannot care less about the fact that you can't play 
Caden Jarris on your turn the way you want to. So I, I, I know I might catch flack for this later, but I love this card. And I love this card in particular because the game mechanics for Star Wars Unlimited are far better for a card like this to exist than, say, Magic the Gathering, right? Magic the Gathering, you could play a card like Meddling Mage, name a card, and then just never block with it. And so your opponent had to find ways to interact with it and do those things. Because this is an attacker chooses targets game, playing this is not the end-all be-all. You do still have to protect the regional governor. However, I also love this card because... It is they, they did something that shocked me. Uh, this is just vigilance. It, it's an imperial official, but it is not villainy. This is just vigilance. So this is going to be open to a number of different decks to include it. It is single aspect. So you have that to consider. But I also love, uh, again, because it's single aspect, you can combine it with the Thrawn deck if you want, right? So if you want to run uh, cunning, villainy, vigilance. That's going to be, I think, a very common control deck in the early stages of the game because Thrawn wants to stall to the late game anyway. That combination will allow him to do so. This will splash right in. Uh, Thrawn, you get to see cards. Now you know what to name. Chimera, you get to see their hand. You now potentially know what to name. But I also really like it because cunning is the source of a bunch of the bounce effects. And so... You could potentially uh, play this, and then if your opponent draws something spicier later, bounce your own regional governor back to your hand, replay it, and name the new nastier threat. Or if they are not able to clean it up in one attack, if they attack into it to get some damage on it, you could bounce it to your hand to save it and redeploy it. That sort of shenanigans. I also really like this card, again, specifically in... Star Wars Unlimited game mechanics because this is one of those cards that helps highlight the importance of turn sequencing and the importance of initiative. Because if you have regional governor and you know your opponent wants to play something and you can slam it down first, then that disrupts the turn potentially for them because now they either have to change what they were doing um, or go with a completely different game plan. The other end of the spectrum, if you're playing against a deck that you know runs Regional Governor and they haven't played it yet, you might take the initiative sooner to ensure that you start the turn and can play whatever it is that you're afraid they might disrupt. So overall, this is one of those cards that I think is going to highlight all of the positives of Star Wars Unlimited from a gameplay standpoint because you can attack it directly, it makes initiative matter, in its single aspect so you can splash it around in deck building like it's just it's a good card for this game this is a sideboard all-star at the very least uh if you're within this aspect color because um pithing needle was a sideboard card for the most part same thing with sorcerer spyglass i played them because i was just tired of losing to you know uh tired of losing to this planeswalker or this particular artifact you play it you say that you can't activate abilities on it. You can't play it. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, and that wins you games. And it's a best of three format. So it's a rare. We know it's a powerful card. I highly recommend that if you're within, if you're playing Vigilance, go get yourself a play set of these bad boys. You're going to want them. Because at a certain point, if you're playing sideboard and you're going into a matchup and there's just one card that is beating the piss out of you, you slam this down. And at the very least, you're buying yourself time. You're buying yourself time while they deal with with the regional governor while she's on the board, you know, and, and you're good to go. 
Um, the next one, I think, is one of the coolest cards in the sets in in uh, in the game so far. Yeah the the next card is black one. This is a six cost space unit. Heroism aggression. It is a resistance vehicle fighter. Now, it only has a 4-4 stat line, so it's dual aspect, and it costs 6, and it's only a 4-4. So naturally, that means the effect on it has to be really powerful, right? Turns out, pretty powerful. When played or when defeated, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw 3 cards. Now, again, earlier when we were talking about the, the headlines, we mentioned that Q&A with the developers on Twitter... It was confirmed that you can quote unquote discard a card or discard your hand if you have zero cards in hand. So if you have an empty hand and this is played or defeated, you just draw three cards. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, we've played card games enough for so long to know that card draw is probably the most powerful mechanic in in the game that's just the way it is the more cards you draw the more options you have the more solutions you have to problems presented to you black one is i think pose x-wing that uh crushed a star killer base back in the day and yeah i mean it's hard to justify a four four for six dual aspect it's so restrictive it's not exactly changing the game it's coming in relatively late but in an aggression deck in a deck that wants to dump the hand go face when you play this uh you know you draw two you maybe you you resource one of them and then you play this for six resources now you're drawing six cards up uh sorry sorry three drawing three cards you're feeling good it may not live it may not you know it may not be okay but in aggression decks typically mid in the mid game you're always starving for cards and drawing off the top feels bad this is the rare time where you're drawing off the top you find this you're like hell yes we can recover we can keep going and in a in a game that wants to play three copies of certain cards if you're playing three copies of this cards you're not feeling so bad about just tanking it into something because you're going to draw up new cards and you might find another one where again you'll be able to dump your hand and replenish. Um, I really freaking like this card because it, it, and I say this as somebody who doesn't play that style of, of cards. I'm not an aggro player at all, but I see the value in this. I've played against this type of card in enough different games to know the significance about what something like this does. There was a card, I believe it was either from Aether Revolt or from Kaladesh. It was uh, a one drop uh, haste artifact that worked with red aggro that every time it attacked it would put a card from the top of your deck like exile it underneath it and then when it died you could play those cards so that again card replenishment anytime you can do that it's it's super uh important yeah this card so when i saw this card i thought okay this is your top end if you're playing the aggressive sabine deck right if you're playing heroism aggression and you're just trying to go as fast as possible smash face this is a card that you love as like being the most expensive card in your deck as the absolute top end because if you draw it early it does not feel bad to resource this you're not really missing out on a lot but then late game if you really need the extra gas you can slap this thing down 
draw up three extra cards and then likely again if this is the most expensive card in your deck that means next turn you're dropping two three maybe even four brand new cards to just kind of reload and continue to pressure your opponent that's really going to be the purpose of this but it's going to do it so well it's a good card it's a good card not as good <laughs> if we're going to go ahead and be real about it is the next one it's the patrolling viewing a two drop space unit in uh, the command aspect it's a one one when played draw a card this was uh revealed by dean tramp thank you dean and uh, this is a card frankly that is uh it just fits into what command is going to be command to be is about uh ramp and digging it's getting to your bigger pieces it's a one one you know this is something where i'll play it i'll look for bigger things and if need be, I will just tank this into the first starship that I see that has a shield. Like, that's basically what it is. It's it's a mosquito. It's not really going to annoy or bother you. The whole point is that you're looking for bigger threats. So uh, that is the patrolling viewing. I will say this. I feel like this is a card that could be a limited all-star. Yes. Because it's very cheap. It cycles and in limited where... A lot of games might be decided by, can I find my bomb faster than my opponent finds their bomb? This is a great, cheap way. It's single aspect, very easy to play. You dig a little bit deeper. I I think that this is, at common, a very good card that you can feel comfortable just jamming in. Yeah, this is a, like this is like a, a, a pick five or like four or five to me. Um, you know, if 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 the rares are and uncommons are good, like this, I can see that picking this as a, as the first or second common out of a pack, you know, if, if necessary. Uh, but in constructed, it's like I'm talking about impact on the particular game. Uh, this is this is a tool. It's not a threat, right? So right, that's where we're at with that. Yeah, and when you go to constructed, I think the biggest issue is that command has a lot of really good card draw, and so. I don't think this ends up making the cut unless you very specifically feel like you need to shore up your space lane for the early game. Um, because yeah. we've already seen cards like Recruit and some of the others that are just very, very good in command for digging anyway. Well, think about it this way. If you're playing against an aggressive deck that happens to be in space, you know, if would you rather pay like three to draw two, like three or four to draw two cards uh, off of like an event? Or would you rather put something on the board to challenge and then still have the same effect of drawing a card. I'm not saying that this warrants a sideboard slot, but it's certainly an option. If aggro is prevalent and you're dead set on playing a ramp late game bomb style deck, then you want this card in there. I just feel like there are, that to me is just succumbing to your stubbornness and saying like, no, I'm going to do this and, and whatnot. But I, I agree with you here. Um, I think this, this, this is a solid, like, you know, B, B minus uh, in terms of uh, limited play. So when you have a family, right? We're talking about Thanksgiving. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Today. What are you when getting you at as I live alone in Toronto family. in my cave? I mean, I'm I'm not too far hey, behind. Uh, you're, you're, you're only four and a half hours away. Why don't you come visit me? Because <laughs> I have to transport four people. And you only have to transport one. But anyway, speaking of four people, what I was getting at is when you have a family and you've got, you know, four siblings and then suddenly another one is born, what you end up having is a fifth brother. And that's the next card we're going to talk about. Out of all the uh, ways to sort of lead into this, it, it's like, 
or like you you came out with it. It's like so you get transported into another dimension and you're uh, suddenly injected into the uh, you know you're part of the Brady family and uh, listen you're... every. Every story is secretly an isekai anyway, and so I'm just leaning into it. it. Um, I support my friend. So, fifth brother. Now, even though... So this is what kind of cracks me up, right? It's the fifth brother. How do you know it's the fifth? And why is this this fifth brother unique, right? If you have five of them and they're all brothers, could any one of them be the fifth brother? Why is this unique? Anyway, uh, fifth brother. This is a unique ground unit. Three cost. It is villainy and aggression because it is an Inquisitor, so Force, Imperial, and Inquisitor tags, has a 2-4 stat line. However, this unit gains Raid 1 for each damage on him. He gets plus 1, plus 0 when attacking for each damage on him. Then on attack, you may deal 1 damage to this unit and 1 damage to another ground unit. So I, I love this. This is a great card for uh, if you are running the kind of grit package because you can deal one to him and one of your uh homies if you will so that you can get some additional damage in you can use this uh defensively take out a potential blocker you can peel uh shields off of opposing ground units as well but i also just really like the design on this card because it highlights one of the ways because you could look at this and say like well this could just have grit like why go the extra mile and do this weird raid thing that scales with damage on the fifth brother and i would say well because you're highlighting this as an aggression card right so it's going to be powerful when it's on offense when it's attacking but if you can attack into it first then you can maybe catch him off guard or or get him on the back foot and take him out right so i i like that there's a lot of potential synergy with this card and other decks other play styles but also it just really highlights aggression i think really well I just think that the game text of deal one damage to me, deal one damage to you kind of thing is just merely a consequence of the fact that he treats his freaking lightsaber like a bloody windmill, you know, and that he's just <laughs> careless about it. He's just like, oh, I got you, but there goes like my toes, like kind of thing. Uh, Fifth Brother is really cool because to me, this is where you play a card in an aggression style environment and you have to suddenly rub two brain cells together to figure some stuff out where you're like okay is it better for me to damage myself and my other character or to peel a shield off this am i going fa-? like there's there's a lot of opportunity here to mess up with the sequencing on this and like the the targets however um when it's straightforward it's gonna feel strong it's like i'll take a damage i'm gonna use one damage to ping this down get rid of a shield now i'm gonna run through it i'll kill it I'm going to be stronger as, as a result of it, or I'm just going to attack the base and and wait for you to address me as a, as a unit, and, and we go from there. I think that this is a, it's a cool card. Comes in at uncommon. Um, again, not my play style, but I, I can see the, the significance of it. I think that there's going to be more of these Inquisitors and such that are going to show up that are going to synergize, much like the Spectres, we might have like an inquisitor style thing. I mean, we kind of already do. So that was that was the last part that I was kind of waiting for. I was going to let you finish it out, but I'll just jump in since you're making the uh, I thought you were the transition you're ma- so easy. Since you're making an ass um, of yourself, yeah. No, no, no. So the other reason that I think that this card has 
kind of the scaling raid mechanic as well. And like I said, it's aggression, so they want it to be when you're attacking. So it's raid, not grit. But the other reason that this card has the stat line that it does is this is the first card I've seen where, and it makes sense, it's another Inquisitor, but I've been like, yeah, this is this is for the Grand Inquisitor leader, like more so than any other card, right? So Grand Inquisitor, if you don't remember, uh, that has the action of you deal two damage to a friendly unit with three or less power and ready it. And so if you play fifth brother, then you are just jumping right into the action where you're you're going to deploy him and then you can deal two to him to immediately ready him and then attack with him on the turn that he came into play. And now he's a four, four for three while he's attacking there could even be or not a four four excuse me a four two or whatever right but he gets that four power and then if you choose the uh, on attack because that's a you may and let's be honest like you probably want to then you're swinging for five and it turns out uh swinging for five on turn three is probably pretty good when a, a lot of these folks are going to be probably using rare bases so it's going to be 25 health instead of 30 uh, that is 20% of a, a health pool. That is very effective. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Ooh, okay. Next up is basically a uh, piece of equipment. It's in it. It's an upgrade. So it's a one-cost cunning upgrade called Snapshot Reflexes. And again, I like that these the upgrades are not necessarily just equipment and items. They're like skills that you kind of pick up right so snapshot reflexes is a gives uh it says when played you may attack with attached unit space or ground makes sense it's a snapshot reflexes it's learned it's learned and it gives you plus one plus one so you drop it on something for one and kaboom baby you can start going to town you can start just going full-on pistolero uh which this scene by the way and everything about this card just reminds me about how absolutely over the moon excited I was when Cad Bane shows up in Book of Boba Fett and how absolutely under the moon shamed I was at how that resolved. I was, yeah. I genuinely believed that Cad Bane was going to be a big bad in like sort of the Star Wars universe of that time period because that character was so freaking cool and not to mention the way that he was portrayed. I know that we're on a, t on a tangent here, but the way that Cad Bane was p portrayed in, uh, in like the, the sort of live action star Wars, I thought it was great. And people might disagree. Well, it doesn't look exactly like that. I will always refer you to Darth Tyrannus, AKA Count Dooku in Clone Wars versus what he looks like in real life. <laughs> so none of your arguments make sense and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But still, um, snapshot reflexes as an upgrade, I think is uh, a cool card. Not sure if it'll see play. I, I think that you kind of want this. It's a combo piece. This is not something that you're just going to throw on anything. I think that if you're putting this into a deck, it has to be with a unit that it has sort of on, on deploy kind of same, same turn significance. Yeah. The real positive here is just that you're messing with people's combat math, right? Because it doesn't ready a unit. The unit has to already be available to attack anyway. And so if you're playing this, you're really just saying, I'm going to do the thing I was already planning on doing, but I'm going to get the plus one, plus one immediately when I do it. 
and you're usually doing that to mess with the combat mass. Oh, so I thought this gave like haste. So I'm incorrect no. here. But yeah, okay. Th- this would be way better if it if it that's, readied the unit. No, why. this is just okay. like you you play. That's why it's a one cost one aspect plus one plus one, right? It's you have to. It just says you may attack with the attached unit, but the unit still has to be ready for you to be able to do that, right? So. This is one of those, like, your opponent says, all right, like, they're going to attack into my Sentinel with that, but my Sentinel will survive it. And you're like, ha, 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 I get the plus one, plus one, and you don't get to respond, right? It's that that immediacy that is kind of messing with the combat math, and that's why it's a cunning card as well. It's the whole, I, I didn't see it coming, you know, <laughs> pun intended. Um <sighs> I'm trying to think of a scenario where a card like this is going to be really annoying. And the one that I came up with was, let's say you have a 5-5 on the board. Your opponent has a 5-5. It's your opponent's turn. You have one open. And you're playing Cunning. You have one resource open. Your opponent is like now thinking of two scenarios. Number one, if you've got snapshot reflexes, I need to attack now. But in your mind, you're like, but I have, on my action, I have, a, I have a way to give this unit shield for a much cleaner, much more efficient trade. But if my opponent has snapshot reflexes, they play it, they attack, they get the value trade, and now I feel like a doofus. The, it's cards like this, and, you know, like, it's like uh, bluffing a settle the wreckage. Like, when you're dead to rights... And you float four re- uh, four mana, and you've got two like you know you got four lands open, and two of them are planes. In that in that standard meta back in the day, like there were times where like I I I can't swing, like I can't. I have lethal on board. Yeah. I am winning on board. But if like this is why cunning to me is so damn cool because it plays outside of the arena of gameplay. A lot of the other. Uh, aspects and decks are going to be built where I have to just pilot and properly navigate the tools that I have presented on the board. I am playing the board. I am playing the life total. This is I'm playing my opponent. I am looking them in the eye. It's it's like it's like playing poker. This adds that level of I don't play my hand. I play my opponent. And if you've ever watched the movie Rounders, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, you'll know the significance of that, of being, you know, weak-minded in the sense of if you're giving up too much information to your opponent or, you know, uh, then you could be exploited merely off of an opponent leaving a resource open to make you think that they have some stuff. This is so up my alley. I really like, uh, I really like this card and what it represents. And to me, as a card player... I don't have to play this card to make you think I have it. I just need to leave one resource open. And you don't know what the hell is going on because you don't have my deck list. You don't know if I have snapshot reflexes. So now just off of the foresight of saying I'll leave one resource open and I have now changed the the, the dynamic of how you're going to uh, execute your turn. So during the developer Q&A, one of the things that they had confirmed is that sideboards will be 10 cards. And... If we ever have a format where it's like open deck list, this could very well be like a a one of in the sideboard all star just for exactly all the reasons you're talking about. Right. The well, I have to play around it, Um, you know, back. This is a long time ago. 
Uh, but back when I was playing, you know, green and standard back then, it was called type two in magic. My go to like one of card like this, my one of all star was always might evokes because there were times where I would like attack with a bird of paradise and my opponent would expend resources to get rid of it because they they knew that I had the one of might evoke sort of thing, you know, so Dude, I get it. It's, I, I dig it. It's the best. Like there was a time where. I used to run, and you'll appreciate this, in my in my Guardian deck, three red pummels, um, two blue pummels, one yellow. Because they want it, if you show one, they think three. And all of a sudden, you're all over the place. And I want to give an example of where this is super effective and important. This isn't just pie-in-the-sky type of big-braining your opponents. There was a deck that... Uh, I believe in so we just came back from Flesh and Blood World Championships. Matthew McKinnis is an excellent card player in Flesh and Blood. In his deck building, um, he uh, just to give people sort of a little bit of a framework of how certain interactions work. Dragons in Flesh and Blood can be immediately killed when they attack if you block with a card that has six or greater power. So they're called poppers. So a lot of people will have to think about how many poppers do I put in a deck. But for the for the dragon player, they have to think of, okay, how many do they have? Is it safe to attack with this dragon? Matthew McKinnis put one-ofs of random poppers to make his opponent think that he was running three times more than he had so mid game the opponent is like playing around all kinds of stuff but he was smart about it and like you said just put a one of in this of one of this so if my yep. opponent does check my my deck but uh, my my you know uh, my sideboard they'll they'll see the one they'll always have to play around it but even without the sideboard uh, and the deck checking sometimes you just play one and your opponent immediately thinks three and that is the that is the the advantage that these kinds of combat trick based decks are going to really dig into because you are now stretching the value of one card into three and it's absolutely incredible and i i i cannot wait to play this freaking game it's just driving me insane all right this next card I, I love for silly reasons. Uh, this next card is Bamboozle. So I'm already in love with the name. I just, I dig the name. I, I love a good Bamboozle. Uh, this is a two cost event. It is Heroism and Cunning, and it has the trick tag. It says you may discard a Cunning card from your hand instead of paying this event's cost. So already you can Bamboozle somebody by being like, oh, I got no resources open. Ha ha, gotcha. Then it says exhaust a unit and return each upgrade on it to its owner's hand. Now, there are some things to consider here, right? There are obviously upgrades that you play in your deck, but uh, this is also a way to get rid of things like shield tokens and experience tokens because those count as upgrades. So this is a very versatile card for, you know, what it does, but also... This is the other reason I love it. The art on it is the most <laughs> confused looking face I have ever seen. Um, I if I could pick one piece of art to. Uh, oh, OK, not one. If I could pick 
uh, two. This would be number two on my list. If I could pick uh, two pieces of art that I could turn into Twitch emotes, this would be number two. The first one would have to be <laughs> our our friend, uh, the... Uh, <laughs> the oh, yeah. The Here I Go Killing Again. Here I Go Killing oh. Again, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that fishy face would have to be number one. But this would be number two because it is such a good, confused look. Like, he... This Han has been bamboozled, and I think that it's supposed to be that Han is bamboozling them, but this Han looks bamboozled, so this this art really sells it. It, it <laughs> Like, this is, I don't know, man. Like, this is the kind of look I would give when I'm on a date, and then they start talking about their, like, their MLM, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, wait a second. When you said that you're your own boss, it's because you sell essential oils. Like, that's the face I'm making right here. It's like, I don't want to hear about your Amway or your Sensi or that. That's kind of where I am. But, like, yes. Um, one of the best scenes, obviously, is when they're rescuing the princess and he has to communicate with, like, the other security. It's like, uh, every, everything's good. All systems are, uh, you know, like, uh, slight weapons malfunction. How, how are you? Like, it's just such a... <laughs> oh god but yeah no you're right the fact that this card can be played by discarding and again now you're not even safe when your opponent has all their their lands tapped like when they have all their resources tapped what the hell are you gonna do you look like that <laughs> you know yeah so god yeah that's the face you make when you know you've got your you've got your obi-wan kenobi on the board and he's got uh you know three experience tokens and a shield and your opponent has no resources open and you're like all right i get to get in with my really powerful and then you're just like nope it's exhausted and you lose all your cool upgrades and well it looks like michael kelso from that 70s show <laughs> it really does like th there's a new thing now if if you get bounced when your opponent has no resources open you got kelsoed like that's what it's this, gonna be this Burn! i need an altar of this where instead of the title being bamboozle it needs to say dude where's my upgrades yeah perfect perfect <laughs> dude where's my unit like it's just it got it got absolutely bounced so thank you golden dice for this yeah. one uh let's go to the next one the I, last... I love this next one too for oh, very similar reasons very the good reasons so fantastic uh this is metal ceremony it is uh, a heroic card. Costs nothing. I think this is our first cost zero card, which is cool. It's a rebel, ta uh, rebel tag. It's an event. Give an experience token to each of up to three rebel units that attacked this phase. So you attack, you attack, you attack. Everybody survives. Congratulations. Here's your medal uh, for uh, everyone but Chewie, apparently. <laughs> didn't get a medal again <laughs> can't even yeah. get it now <laughs> that's, that's what i was waiting to point out so i love that one it's it's lore accurate right chewy here does not have the medal and he's sad also, look how sad he, he is so depressed <laughs> so this sad. is me in a chewy costume yeah, he's <laughs> so i want this as a as an emote as well just that sad <laughs> chewy face i have the confused han the sad chewy and the here i, I go, go killing, killing again <laughs> here i go killing again yeah oh dude so so th this card is a common and it, it's interesting because when i first saw this my knee-jerk reaction was this card's just not very good uh it's got to be rebel specific 
You've got to have, you know, attacked with three units mm -hmm. if you want to get max value. And they have to have survived still to that point by the time you're playing this. And then they each get plus one, plus one, which is OK, I guess. But also that's after they've already done anything. So it's really just setting you up for next turn. So my first initial thought was like this. This card is just straight up not very good. Where I started to settle on, it might be slightly better than I give it credit for, which is it, which is a, a very low bar, I will admit, because it just did not seem very good. Um, I think that in uh, limited or in a rebel dedicated deck, uh, even if this gets you uh, two, right? So that that to me would be my threshold. This is potentially a zero four plus two plus two in most cases because i think you're going to want to be playing this early um you want to deploy you know one to two rebels early get your attacks in you know first one maybe gets your value trade second one goes base then you just pop off with metal ceremony because it costs zero right so on that you know follow-up turn it's entirely possible that it's like you know you do your attacks you deploy a unit and then when you're tapped out your opponent you know isn't expecting the metal ceremony you might land it I think that's going to like really be the true ceiling for this. I don't think that you'll ever get the full three value out of it. Um, but even in those scenarios, like if I'm being honest, it's not going to be crazy impactful. This is one of the first cards where I've I've really been saying to myself, like, if it's ever good, it's got to be in the future because I just don't see it right now. Yeah, this is a card that I'm I would be I think that there's certain cards where i i'm sort of reserving as you know not not great but can surprise and i think that there this is like the way in my opinion that this is going to be a good card is like you have the you have the miracle curve of like you you know drop one thing two things uh three things you have like you know it's turn two you got three things on the board or whatever or the turn three you attack with all of them everybody survives and you metal ceremony for plus six stats across the board right and that's that's great it's awesome i think we're also looking at this from the perspective of always wanting to give it to three rebels to maximize the uh the value of it but even if you're getting plus one like two plus one plus ones for zero cost that's pretty good because the way that the cards have been designed is like they're meant to sort of tr you know to quote george lucas they rhyme and like they're meant to trade into each other in certain capacities um getting the the bonus on there creating um trades that are not necessarily that perfect fit as they may be can swing the game especially if, if you're playing a more aggression list or aggressive list of rebels that are meant to just sort of slam face if you can just you know make them stronger i'm ready for this card to surprise me but i think that you're correct when you when you say that it's not going to be good yet that there's missing pieces um to round out that early curve whether it be units that can maintain survivability and and stick to the board or just the fact that there's not enough uh there's not enough units to warrant even building the deck itself where this card is not even going to be that good i think that this card is poised to surprise but as it stands right now this is like a c minus to a d plus card yeah so there will be, so I will say this, there will be a point in time where I will try to make this work because there is what I would describe as like the lottery winning where you get, even if it's just two rebels early that you can swing with, 
and you you pull up on the trips medal ceremony and you're just like okay i play too cheap like rebels and then it's like bam 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 they they get plus three plus three because i just start jamming the medal ceremonies like i just want to do something silly like that um I, i could see a card like this being powerful if you know in the future if we get like an event or something that's like um you know you pay three to create three one one rebel tokens or whatever and they enter ready or whatever or even if it's not three pay four pay five whatever the case may be something like that where you can potentially ease into being able to swing with multiple rebels in a single turn pretty easily then maybe this kind of creeps up on you but right right now it just this is one of the weaker cards we've seen revealed first zero cost card i mean it's costed right uh so it's all good there you have it those are the spoilers as we have them today november 23rd at approximately 5 p.m eastern standard time anything after this we are not responsible for so take that to the bank um yeah we've been traveling a lot so in terms of actually putting together an episode to dive into a specific topic we obviously want to hear from you out there what you guys want to hear and this was kind of just a matter of listen this is this is when we have time this is when it's going to happen i you know you and i traveled like absolute goons ran around for uh, a week or so had a great time mind you but at a certain point it's you know to combat the jet lag to get back into a routine we just didn't have the time to put out an episode last week and this episode here is uh, us just kind of sort of getting back into the swing of things. Even so much so that Doa was like, I don't even want to be a part of it because you clowns can't be professional. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty much how the exact conversation went. We were like, hey, what if we did this on Thanksgiving? And he said, I'm thankful that I don't have to be a part of that. That's what I'm thankful for. <laughs> I don't even have Thanksgiving here in Canada on this day. So we had ours back in October uh, because... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even have a joke there because I don't even know why that's the case. But uh, don't worry about it because I don't care. But um, uh, there's a couple things that I want to talk about. And the first thing I want to bring up is you and I had an incredible moment in Barcelona at the event. Uh, I think you and I were chatting briefly by the caster area. And somebody came up to, came up to us and said, mm-hmm. What? Hey, I just wanted to say, I love Wampa Radio, and we immediately cheered. It was not it, even it made. Yeah, it made our weekend. It was. It was. We were here in the thick of you know flesh and blood world championship. We've literally traveled halfway around the globe. We're in Barcelona, and we're 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 doing our own thing. And somebody came up and was like, Hey, I love Wampa Radio, and we just we were fist pumping and cheering. We were like, Yes, it made the weekend. And I, I will also say that it didn't stop there. We had several people uh, approach us. So if you are one of those people who are listening now, uh, thank you. We love you. We genuinely appreciated it. Um, as Flake said, I got to judge the cosplay contest there at Worlds. And one of the competitors in the cosplay contest is also a fan of, of Wampa Radio. He did a great job on Bravo. And dude, that yeah, guy, just, that guy, that was the, the Italian dude, right? Yes. Oh my! That I so uh, I was hosting that I was hosting the uh, cosplay contest. There's actually a video of the cosplay contest on DM Armada, who's a really good friend of ours and a good friend of the show. Uh, 
recorded the cosplay contest, put it up there. So if you want to see that, you want to see Charmer judging, you want to see me hosting that, it's it's up there. But I was next to that dude. Absolute man mountain of of just meaty men slapping meat. An absolute just behemoth of a human being. As Bravo, this big buff guardian dude. And then we asked him, uh, because you and I are guardian players, we asked mm-hmm, him, there's mm-hmm. a card called Pummel. Pummel is like, uh, if I were to equate it to something uh, from Star Wars U, it's an event that you can play to enhance an attack. And the, the basically, if the attack deals damage, you discard a card out of your hand. So, um, Charmer and I are fans of playing every single possible copy that we can because dealing damage and discarding cards is cool. And we asked him, I said... Bravo, how many pummels should go in a deck? And his reply charmer was? All of them. And we cheered, baby. You clapped. And we did. Yes. It was great. I was like, all right, well, you get bonus points just for that because that is the appropriate answer. Yeah, no, and he was, uh, as you said, he's he's a very, uh, you know, physically imposing gentleman who was just so kind. Like when I was talking to him, uh, you know, when the cosplay contest was getting ready, so I'm going to say backstage, even though there wasn't really like a backstage, um, just so kind. And uh, again, just I, w- I was so surprised at the number of people at that event that approached and said, hey, I just want to tell you, I, I love Wampa Radio. So uh, it was actually kind of eye opening because for for a game that's not even released yet to have this many people enjoy our coverage of it, it really means a lot. That's that's part of it. And again, I mean, you and I have gone to enough card game events within the sort of titles that we have content for and, and people will come up to us and talk to us and it's always great. Uh, for, for Wampa Radio, there's like, we haven't been to tournaments. We haven't been to this. We haven't been to that. And, and so to us, when we see the numbers of, you know, like, oh, like the, the podcast, like this episode got, you know, uh, a thousand or two thousand, two thousand views or listens or whatever. We're just there and we're like, that's incredible. That's amazing that there's this many people around the world who are enjoying it. And it always is fascinating to us because we never put it together because it's just a number on a page when we're evaluating the trajectory of our show that there's are obviously there's people behind those numbers. And when they come up to you, it's just kind of like this big reveal of I am one of those people and i really appreciate what you do it it means so much to us that like you said when that person came up to us and said i'm a big fan of romper radio we didn't like say thank you we put our arms in the air and loudly cheered because it was great for that to happen because it's happened to you personally like alone it happened to me alone like you know based on wherever i'm going but it never happened to us together and the thing about this that i'm i'm again it's thanksgiving for you guys i'm going to say what am i thankful for i'm thankful for that i'm thankful for the fact that as much as there are the 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 daniel peas who like to leave us the best and most delicious comments uh of nonsense on our on our platform here and we love you dan we love you because you yeah. you click on our video and add to our views. I don't care what you write. You are adding to our algorithmic 
souffle of deliciousness. So we love you, Daniel. We appreciate the engagement. Thank you. But beyond that, it's the fact that the people who listen to us will come up to us and feel comfortable to come up to us and and say that they enjoy the show. And that means a lot. We don't we don't want your money. We don't want your you know, we don't we want you to enjoy what we're doing. And it's not always going to be that way. But the fact that you come back, that is our mission. It's just like saying, hey, mission accomplished. We like what you're doing. And that means a lot. And uh, the sheer joy and celebration that Charmer and I had in that moment, I was stressed. Charmer was stressed. We were like, it was a nightmare. He didn't have his luggage. He was playing in like 17 different events. I had to like, uh, I was interviewing people and running from stage to stage, doing all kinds of other announcements and garbage. And this moment was like, it grounded us back to reality of like, all this is for that. And it, and it's worth it. And we appreciate it. I don't know if you remember, but I I do. So the fun fact about that particular moment was literally moments before this kind stranger approached us. And I, I don't mean like five minutes before. I mean, maybe two minutes tops. Uh, Flake and I had just got done saying how excited we were that Star Wars was coming out next year and that we could someday do events like this for Star Wars. And then him and I in person literally high-fived. We were talking with somebody else about just events and how you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. They they had asked us for feedback about like casting and yeah, whatever. That was it. And, yeah. we, and we were saying like, you know, because they'd asked, how do you get into it, right? And so uh, Flake was talking about his experience with Gwent. I was talking about my experience with the Elder Scrolls Legends, things like that. And we were basically saying like, hey, you can't you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You have to kind of diversify because you never know when your game will go away. Like in the case of me, for example, uh, I've covered a lot of games that have died. You know, it's not just the Elder Scrolls Legends, but uh, Artifact and Mythgard and uh, the list goes on and on. And so we we gave that feedback and then we went, hey, there's always new stuff on the horizon. And then Flake said, like Star Wars, baby. And I said, yeah, next year. And then we high fived. And then maybe 30 seconds go by and somebody approaches us and says, hey, I just wanted to say, you know, I love Wampa. And we were we were so jacked in that moment because it was it was like it was like the universe confirming we're on the right path. Um, it was just a good feeling. And so, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Thanksgiving thing. That was one of the reasons I wanted to put that kind of as our quote unquote main topic, even though we don't have one for this week, is that I wanted to say, regardless of what happens with this game, because I do know that there are some folks out there that are still not sold on the potential of the game, whether they are, you know, feeling like Fantasy Flight has let them down in the past or you know, maybe they are feeling burnout from the number of card games that released this year, whatever the case may be. Uh, regardless of what happens with this game, I am thankful already for the joy that doing this show has given me, right? Because I've covered a lot of games that have died and I can still look back and have incredible memories with those games. And so if whatever, you know, happens with this happens, I... I already cherish these moments that we're getting, right? Where people walk up. Like I said, it's it's wild to me that the game hasn't even released. And we have people all the time now when we're at Flesh and Blood events, like, hey, I love Wampa. And that it 
it's hard to articulate how it makes me feel inside because I'm normally pretty dead inside. Um, I guess the best visual that I could say is like, imagine the part where uh, the Grinch's heart grows and that that is me. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And um, the other little piece I want to talk about before we kind of sign, we have no, uh, we have no mailbag this week. Uh, we didn't get anything come in. Plus we didn't exactly lobby for it uh, or sort of advertise for it because we were on the road. So we can take an extra couple minutes to talk about um, what organized play could potentially look like. And we say this because we just came back from the world championships of flesh and blood in Barcelona. And in my head, all I'm thinking about is will galactic championships look like this? Will the galactic championship have this kind of fanfare and celebration and side events and other types of fan friendly interaction because Barcelona wasn't just about, okay, well, there's a world championship tournament going on and vendors. It wasn't just that. There was a cosplay contest. There were meet and greets with um, with people like the professor from Tolarian Community College. Yeah. They were walking around. There was, um, you know, uh, d- developer panels, um, th- uh, like artist alleys and cosplay panels to ask questions and interact. There was all the side events and the side events weren't just, Hey, go play some classic constructed. There was some cool stuff that was going on. I, I played in a sealed event that had over 900 players, 900 players for a side event. It wasn't like you weren't playing for thousands of dollars. You were playing for prize tickets. Like 900 players signed up for that thing. So this, is, to me, is what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about what OP can look like for Star Wars. And part of it is, like, I get it. They want to sort of ease into it. And the logic behind not having a full-fledged tournament circuit with, you know, one or two sets that are going to be legal, I get that. And, and all it makes me want to do is think about, like, I really freaking hope that FFG can take a, a, um, a snapshot of what ma- about Flesh and Blood is doing from the perspective of fan engagement and turning it not as a as like these events flesh and blood approaches them not as profitable ventures they've they're they're costs to them like they're not making money off of these things they're putting up a crap load of money and paying a s load of cash to enhance the experience so that when you go there whether you're playing in the world championships or you literally just showed up because your, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife are participating, and you don't know much about the game. There is something for you. Your wife played in an event. Uh, Tarek Patel, the uh, former Canadian, former American national champion, his wife, or sorry, his fiance now because they got engaged in Barcelona, which was awesome. I love him to death. She signed up for her first ever event. Uh, DM Armada's wife was doing the same thing. So many people felt engaged and felt welcome. And it wasn't just about the fact that you're playing competitively for prizes. It wasn't about the outcome of the games. It was about what is available to me to have a good time and to connect with the community. Flesh and Blood has done that exceptionally well. And I am, I, I really want for star wars unlimited to offer the same experience to say it's it doesn't matter that you know all the rules you will have something here that will offer you a fulfilling time offer you memories to be made and friendships to sort of 
to sort of call to, to forge together and that's what it is and flesh and blood has is next year is investing one and a half million dollars into their op system which is 50 percent more than last year and they're just like yeah we don't know what the future is but we know that we want to put on great events and i think that ffg needs to look at Maybe not the the exact structure of it, Charmer, but I think that they have to look at the spirit of it and go from there. I, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that this this is another one of those ones that's uh, it's kind of hard to articulate, right? I think you did a fantastic job. I think that this is an IP where all of the things you just mentioned are kind of already prepped right so you, you think about like cosplay contests right there's already a bunch of star wars cosplayers so of course that would be something that would be really awesome in an event like i'd love to sit down and you know play against somebody in full stormtrooper armor um it's just one of those things you have to cultivate and i do think that fantasy flight is showing uh, an interest in doing so uh, i love their three c's of the game and i think that leaning into that will help immensely and I, I hope that, you know, a year from now, you and I are feeling about Star Wars Unlimited the exact same way that we, you know, we're feeling in Barcelona for Flesh and Blood. Like, let's remove ourselves a year into the future of where we're at now. We've gone through 2024, the first instances of what OP is going to look like. And all we have to look forward to is more and more and more of like an expanded situation. But you're right, because of the way I'm thinking about this, this IP already attracts so many fans and creates an environment that people will celebrate and have a good time with. I'm thinking about the cosplay contest for this. And FFG, if you're listening to this, do a cosplay contest. You have no idea the level of engagement that cosplayers bring to these types of events the cosplay contest okay and i've hosted so many of these on a stage with a microphone talking to hundreds of people watching this now a lot of them are playing but like the crowd the the all the seats were filled and the surrounding area was standing room only for people to watch these cosplayers show up and put on a show and it was spectacular but if they do a cosplay contest, because some people cosplay the characters and some people cosplay certain cards. If you're doing, if you're going to go to a Star Wars uh, Unlimited cosplay contest and you show up as Bamboozle, you are already a winner in my books. There's two easy winners. It's Bamboozle and you know the other one, Charmer. Oh, absolutely. And I will say this. Um if you are listening, Ashton Kutcher, I need you to come <laughs> as Bamboozle with the Kelso face. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Um, but if you want to show up as that bloodthirsty Sulliston, <laughs> just murder, oh, yeah. murdering people, uh, that works too. If somebody shows up as a Wampa, you got my vote. Uh, but there's a reason why I like – this is the one thing is I do not – I always refuse – uh, judging these things because as a talentless clown shoe, I am not going to go ahead and uh, judge this kind of thing. It you, you so hard. Oh my, I that is a conversation for a, another yeah. day. But I will just say this: it was incredibly difficult because the the work and the heart and soul that all these people put into it is monumental, and it shows, and it 
it felt very, very difficult. And and then if you watch it back, you'll know because there was uh, a big delay between like when we went to deliberate because there were some oh, heavy yes. discussions. Like oh, yes. it, I know it because I had not to easy. I had to fill about twenty to thirty minutes <laughs> with improvised stand up comedy for you, which went well. I will say, crowd was yeah. uh, crowd was having a good time, and we did sort of also, you know, push the tempo on you guys when I was just getting the crowd to yell "judge" uh, over and over again, and you were you did flip me off, and I know that Rachel <laughs> Rachel Stoddard was a little bit like, just give us time, damn it. And uh, anyway, all this to say, there's a lot to look forward to, but there's a lot to be thankful for right now, and. It's a lot of that, if not the vast majority of it, is because of the community who has not just embraced this game, but also put up with us. And I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart, because when Charmer and I embarked on this, we didn't know what we were going to do. But after like one or two episodes, we talked and we said, this is like, I don't care if nobody watches. This is this is what we want to do. And we're going to do it. We, so we just we're always having a good time talking about star wars talking about card games and this is a, a match made in heaven for us so uh, absolutely we were like you know what even if it's just for us it's our vacation for the week you know that that time we get <laughs> yeah. to talk about the game so uh all right that does it uh wampa radio number 24 and we're going to be back to our regular schedule regularly scheduled programming from now on doe is going to be returning and um just to give everybody a little heads up there's going to be Ah, you know what? I'm not going to give you a heads up because uh, we'll leave you in the dark on, on certain There's things. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be stuff. Things. Wheels are turning. Things are happening. We love you. Charmer? Um, I have no, like, there's no mailbag, right? So why don't you just uh, let everybody know in your best robotic voice how, how, how they should enjoy their Thanksgiving in America? With good food and better company. And may the force be with you.